Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. All right, let's get into the word this morning. Why don't we open up in a word of prayer and just uh, let our hearts just be settled. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you do in our hearts and our lives. We just pray you'd speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think of different things that go together, what are the things that come to your mind? One of the things that I think of is peanut butter and jelly. How many of you know you can't have one without the other, right? I, I know you can, you put jelly on toast, but there's just nothing like peanut butter and jelly, right? I, I think, I think of, of cookies and milk, right? I mean, they just, they just, they just really, they go together, cookies and milk. Uh, you know, you might think of salt and pepper. Uh, I don't know, maybe you put a little salt, a little pepper. Salt and pepper just seem to be something that goes together. When I think about uh, movies, I think of popcorn. I mean, you know, how do you go to the movies and not get a big old thing of buttery popcorn? Right? I'm probably making some of you hungry if you're waiting afterwards. Hot cocoa and marshmallows. Or I think of different characters. You know, you have Mickey and Minnie Mouse, right? You can't have Mickey without Minnie, right? It's just incomplete. Or Batman and Robin, right? Or, or, or come on, I mean, probably one of my favorite. You can't have Woody without Buzz Lightyear, right? I mean, there are just things that go better together. And so we're kicking off a new series here for the next three weeks called Better Together. I just believe that we're built for community. I, I, I believe that the Lord has created us. We're going to unpack what that, what that is and, and why I believe that this morning, why I think the Bible tells us that, that there is power in belonging, there is power in community, and, uh, and we are better together. We are better together. There's something that is really true. We can have our personal faith, our personal relationship with Jesus, and there is something very personable, personal about our faith. Yet at the same time, I think that one of the things that we see throughout Scripture is that our faith grows deeper when we share life together. Our faith grows deeper when we share life Together. In fact, throughout the New Testament, there are various illustrations that, that kind of talk about the value or explain or highlight the value of community and connectedness. That when people put their faith in Jesus, we're not just isolated and alone in that faith, but we're a part of a greater community. First Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 calls us the body of Christ, right? We are the body of Christ and talks about different parts. Now, we're all different. We're not the same. But those differences that come together within the body of Christ create great value. In other places, we're called the family of God. And, uh, or we're called a temple that's been fitted together with various pieces with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. All throughout scripture, you can't get away from this idea that, that the Lord says that we were created for community. We're created to belong to something bigger than ourselves. This, this church, Big C Church, and yet among the Big C Church are local bodies of believers that come together to encourage, and as Hebrews says, spur one another on towards love in good deeds. All the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. I don't know about you, but I see the day of Christ approaching. Amen? 
Recently, I, I was sent a link to a TED Talk uh, given by a renowned uh, researcher and sociologist, Brene Brown, called The Power of Vulnerability. And, and to my knowledge, I just want to put this out there, Brene Brown is not a believer in Jesus Christ. She's not a, a, a Christian. This is not Christian research or a, a Christian TED Talk. So if you search the power of vulnerability, TED Talk, Brene Brown, uh, there, there's, there might be some choice language in there that you go, whoa, what is pastor listening to? Yet the research I found was just astounding. I couldn't I couldn't stop listening to the little 20-minute TED Talk that she had done. As she was spending years researching for her doctorate, she was studying the power of human connection. And she discovered the, the power of connectivity and belonging, and what she discovered in that really confirms what we see in Scripture. Let me kind of just summarize a little bit for you. As she began to share uh, her, her research, she, she started with connection, and this is what she said, by the time you're a social worker for 10 years, what you realize is that connection is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. That's what it's all about. How many know the Bible's been saying that for years? We, we were, there's this power in connection. In fact, she went on to say that we are neurobiologically wired for connection. We're wired for connection. It's, it's why we're here. And I think I, I've shared before, but I can't emphasize it enough. When we take a look in scripture, right in the book of Genesis, uh, we, we see language like us and our. Let us create man in our image. There, there is a lot of language of us and our. Why? Because the image of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so before there was ever sin, God looked and said, boy, there's something wrong with just having Adam on the earth. There's something incomplete about that. Although the creation of man is good and very good, there's yet something that is incomplete. Not that it's sinful, but it's incomplete. And so what did God do? God created woman, right? After looking at all of the creation, and we know the phrase that a dog is man's best friend, right? But even a dog was incomplete for what God had purposed, human connectivity and connection. We were wired innate for connection. But the problem is, in our Western culture and Western hemisphere, we are very much individualized, individually driven. Everything is about me, about my needs, about my wants, about being independent. And yet scripture and other places culturally around the world understand the value of this interconnectedness that, that we share and that we were hardwired for connectivity. The truth of the matter is we are better together. We're better together. Uh, Brene Brown, as she was continuing her TED Talk and her research, she said that as she was listening to people uh, giving their, their stories and sharing their stories, interviewing different people, she kept running into this unnamed thing. She didn't have a name, this kind of unnamed thing that broke connectivity. All the way through, she just found that in these stories, there was something that unraveled connectivity. And so she began to do a deep dive to figure out what is it? What is this unnamed root? And she discovered that it is shame. 
In fact, this is what she said. Shame is, is really easily understood as the fear of disconnection. Is, is there something about me that if other people uh, knew about it or see it, uh, that, that they would just say, you're not worthy of connection? This idea of, of shame unravels connection. She said, the things I can tell you about it is this, it's universal. In other words, everyone has experienced at some level this problem of shame that causes this disconnectivity. And she said, the only people that don't experience shame have no capacity for human empathy or connection. No one wants to talk about it. And the less you talk about it, the more you have it. So at the, at the very heart is this thing called shame. And so immediately, I don't know about you, but when I'm hearing her, 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 her research from a secular standpoint, my mind goes right back to Genesis again and Genesis chapter three. And I, I go right back to, to verse six that when, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then it says this, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together, right? And they started making coverings for themselves. Why? Shame. Shame. And what did that shame lead to? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid, fear of being found out, fear of being seen as who I really am. I've covered, I'm trying to find a covering, a hiding. Why? Because of shame, because I was naked, so I hid. Shame. Shame is one of those things that as we look right in the very beginning did something it broke connectivity with God. It broke belonging with God. The very thing that we have been hardwired, that, that inside of us there's this innate place of connectivity. The moment that sin was introduced, the moment there was disobedience, shame, suddenly eyes were open and shame, I'm not good enough as I am. There's something wrong with me. I'm not happy with myself. I look and I feel like I've got to have a covering. I'm exposed. I'm out there. I'm vulnerable. And shame and hiding created a disconnect in relationship with God. And if you follow along, not just a disconnect in a relationship with God, but for the first time, there was a disconnect and, and, and a problem in the relationship between Adam and Eve. When God said, what was the problem? Adam said, it's this woman who you brought here. Blame, Right? And, and, and blame is just a, a way for us to cover shame, to cover our own vulnerability, to say, I'm not as bad as I think I am. I didn't really do it. It's not really me, somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. So we begin to shift the blame to try to take the eyes off of our own shame and fear and vulnerability, that in which we have, and it breaks connection and it breaks fellowship. And for the first time, we have shame. And this has been a problem down through the generations. Why? Because innately, we have been wired for connection. 
And sin breaks our connection with God and disrupts our connection with others. And this power of shame has an opportunity to disrupt what God desired for us, and that is to belong and to be connected with Him and with others. And I want to suggest to you today that that's why the gospel is so important. Because what Jesus Christ came to do was to to break shame, to restore connectivity and fellowship with God, to begin to bring healing and begin to, to take away the fear and the shame and the guilt and the sin and to restore not only our relationship with God, Our connectivity with him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, but also our connectivity with one another, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't truly follow Jesus and stay isolated because we've been called not just to a connectivity in our relationship with God, but to belong to one another. You belong to one another. We have been created for community. That shame and hiddenness causes this loneliness. While Brown's research, again, is is not affected by biblical value, the truth remains the same. Jesus came to replace shame and the feelings of unworthiness with his sacrifice and love and an invitation to belong to his family. There is power in belonging. There's power in belonging, and God has given a place for us to belong, and in that belonging, he's given us a purpose. In fact, Brene Brown discovered in her research that a a group of people who lived with joy and fulfillment, as she was doing that, she came across these people that that she found were living with joy and fulfillment, and and, and so she asked herself, what was the difference, and what she said is they, they had a sense of worthiness. These are her words, a sense of worthiness. They have a strong sense of love and belonging. This is a secular sociologist who did secular research and came to the problem that the Bible says is only resolved through Jesus Christ and in his word. That what Jesus Christ comes to do is to restore us to a place where we are unworthy, but now we are made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. That he places value upon our lives that we can't get anywhere else. And by having that value that we have in him and this idea that we belong to him, that we are his. And in that, we have a community of people who also have been undervalued and unloved and a shamed but restored now together as a wonderful body of of people who now experience a worthiness not in ourselves not by our own works that any of us can boast but in him there's this power of belonging that brings about a joy that meets this innate need that we were created with think about that See, I'm not against science. If you, have, if you are truly open, you will find that it leads back. Sociology and science leads back to universal truths, general revelation, so to speak, that Scripture has been talking about. And that Scripture has come, that God loved us to restore us to that place of connection. So how does God restore us to a place of belonging? There's a powerful story in the Old Testament, and I, 
I just find myself drawn to it. A couple uh, weeks ago, I was found myself uh, reading the story again in my, my daily Bible reading, and, and I just came across the story. And once again, it just reminded me of, of just the, the power that comes when we are loved. When we are loved by God, the power that comes when we are loved by God. It's the story of a guy who has a really funny name, and it's really hard to say, Mephibosheth. Try saying Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And if you don't know who Mephibosheth is, his story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9, but, but earlier on we get introduced to him. And let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, how many remember that the first king, when Israel demanded a king of, of Samuel, the first king that they had was a king by the name of Saul. Anybody remember King Saul? And, uh, and King Saul was that first king. Now, now King Saul had a, a son whose name was Jonathan, and Jonathan was King David's best friend. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. And you might remember that Saul got very jealous of David. David had killed Goliath and, and then ended up marrying into the family by marrying uh, Saul's daughter. So now he's a son-in-law. And, and Saul very quickly begins to understand that when Samuel had said to him that, that you have sinned against God, you've not taken ownership of that. And because of that, you are, you are, you are no longer going to be in the throne. That jealousy began to get the best of Saul because he began to see God's hand and anointing upon David and Saul could see what, what, what was coming and so he began to think well you know what if I kill David then maybe I can undo God's plan can I just as a side note just tell you that you could never undo God's plan okay God's plan is God's plan and don't worry about what somebody else David's you know running all around and, and, and guess what if it's God's plan it's God's plan okay that's an extra so, so there's this, this persecution. Now, Jonathan is not seeing it. He doesn't see that his dad wants to kill David. And so he goes to find out for uh, David, hey, uh, I, let me go find out if my dad really intends to kill you. And there's this whole story about, anyway, he discovers that, yes, Saul is wanting to kill David. So he goes and warns David. They're loyal friends. And in that time, David promises Jonathan Listen, it, when I get, if I get to the throne, if this does happen the way that God has, has purposed it, I'm not going to kill anybody in your family. Now, you have to understand, when a king would be threatened, there was another king in place, the throne would be threatened as long as there was a family member that could rise up. And so oftentimes what would happen in dynasties is if you took the throne and you weren't a part of that family, you wiped out that entire family. But David makes this commitment to, to Jonathan that I won't do that. And so if you, if you follow on the story, you know that there was a battle between Israel and the Philistines. And in that battle, Saul died. And in that battle, Jonathan died. His son Jonathan died. And there was great panic that took place in Jerusalem. There was great panic that took place, I'm sorry, in the kingdom at that time. And, and, uh, and, and, and something tragic happens. And we see it in the beginning, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. What happens, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old, a five-year-old, right? When the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, his nurse picked him up and fled. As, and, 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 but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. At five years of age... This young boy's life completely changed. Son of, of Jonathan the prince, grandson of Saul the king, being taken care of and, and waited upon, life in the, in the palace, life as a king's kid, right? And all of a sudden, life changed 
in an instant as that battle happened and the nurse began to hurry to get him away for fear of his life and dropped him. And he was crippled in both feet. They didn't have the medical technology that we have that could have set those bones and, and could have helped those feet. And instead, all of a sudden, he is crippled. And for years, Mephibosheth is in hiding. Where is he at? He's in, he's in hiding. Perhaps fear of one day that he'll be found and, and killed. Not, not knowing maybe the commitment that David made to his father, Jonathan. You got to remember, he's five. And, and David was fleeing many years before that. He probably wasn't even born when that commitment was made between the two of them. And, uh, and so what you have from Mephibosheth is, is that, that, that all of a sudden uh, he is found in a place of disgrace. In fact, if you look at his very name, his very name means this, from the mouth of a shameful thing. Shame. From the mouth of a shameful thing. Shame. For years, Mephibosheth has lived in obscurity and shame. His grandfather had, had lost the kingdom. His grandfather was a jealous, uh, crazy king. Everybody knew he had gone insane and crazy. And there was just this, 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 this legacy that was no longer good. Any of you have a family like that where you look at a family history and you think, man, my family history is not very good. This is, this is Mephibosheth. And every time... That, that he would get up in the morning and unable to take care of himself and unable to walk. He was reminded of that painful day when he was five years old. How many know there are things that sometimes happen to us, even as kids, that we can't get out of our head? That we're reminded of every single day that impact our lives. What he didn't know was his life was about to change dramatically. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, this is where the story unpacks. And I just want to read the story incomplete from verses 1 to 11. So if you're, if you're with me, you can follow along on the app notes or you can see it on the screen or in your copy of God's Word. I'm in the New Living Translation. 1 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. And the king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? Uh-oh. But no, if so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked in Lodabar. Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I'm your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you, and this is, the, this is a critical verse, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Self-talk. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food at your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. 
Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I'm your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. From that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. What a powerful story, isn't it? It's amazing, but it demonstrates for us this power of belonging. It demonstrates, at least in my mind, this power of how God takes us from a place where we are isolated and alone and afraid and crippled and, and, and hurting and we're out. And he brings us from that place and gives us a seat at his table as a part of his family. There is power in belonging. I don't need to preach anymore. I just summarized the message for you. <laughs> You're excited about that. You think I'm going to be done. Let me just quickly. <laughs> verse 7 is really the key verse. All right. That, that's really the key hinge point verse. In fact, uh, uh, Ralph Davis in his commentary on 2 Samuel said the hinge and heart of this chapter is verse 7. The king promises three things to Mephibosheth. He promises protection, provision, and position. And I want to say that's the blessings of belonging. When you belong to God's family, when you belong to God's church, there's power in belonging. Because with that belonging, there comes three blessings. And the first is the king's gift of protection. Again, when Mephibosheth is brought to David, you have to understand, we have hindsight. He didn't. Suddenly the king seeks him out out of nowhere as he's in his place uh, of nowhere, living his life, isolated, alone, hurting, saying, you know what? This is just my life. He's not seeking after David, but there comes a knock at the door and says, hey, David wants to see you. I don't know about you, but if I didn't know that David was coming to me to show kindness, I think my first reaction might be, what are his intentions? I think my life is over. And I think we see that in the, in the narrative of the story. Perhaps he was told, no, no, it's for kindness. And he's thinking to himself, sure, they told you that, so I'd come with you. And I, I'm, I'm crippled. I can't do anything for myself. And so I don't have any choice here. Here I go. What is going to be my life? What, here, here I am. I am. I'm Saul's grandson. I know how my grandfather hunted you down and treated you. Uh, boy, oh, I've heard the stories. I, I, I'm in for it. I'm in for it. Additionally, he had an uncle, another of Saul's son, Ishbosheth, who after Saul and Jonathan had been killed, had been raised up for a period of time to be king in Israel and recently had been murdered himself. And so now he's thinking, what is my, what, 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 what is going to happen? So he, he approaches David and the scripture says that he bows low and he declares, I'm your servant. I can just hear him begging. I'm your servant. And why do I think he was begging? Because David says to him these words that we also see in the New Testament over and over again. And that is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because so many times fear dominates and keeps us from being connected with God. We're afraid of what God is going to do. That if we come to God, if God comes and he invites us to come, then I look at my life and I look at what I've done and I look at my past and I look at my, and I think, what, 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 what have I to offer? What have I done? I'm deserving of wrath. I'm deserving of judgment. I'm injured, but instead, David offers these words, do not be afraid. David said, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. The kindness that he offered him was a place of refuge. It was a place of protection. I am not out to kill you, but instead, I'm out to restore you. 
I'm giving you a place back within my kingdom that you no longer have to be in isolation. You no longer have to be in hiding. I'm giving you place of refuge. How many know that throughout Scripture, over and over again, we know that Scripture promises us that God is a refuge and a strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Friends, God wants you to belong to his family, wants you to belong to him and understand the power of that belonging because in him, he is a refuge for you. He is a place of, of, of safety in your hiding. He is a place of covering for you. And that's what we're looking for in, 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 when, when we're dealing with shame that disconnects us, we need a place of, of refuge and covering. And God promises us that to us. And, and that's what David does because of, not because of anything that Mephibosheth has done, but because of his covenant promise to Jonathan. And you know what? Because of God's covenant promise through Jesus Christ, you and I have that same promise of, of protection, protection from eternal damnation in hell, but also protection and a refuge from the troubles and the trials that we experience. Not that we don't go through things, but that we can run to the Father who provides us all that we need, a peace in the storm, a peace in the storm out of a motivation of kindness. How many know that, that that's God's motivation? It's kindness. It's the kindness of God. Scripture says that leads to repentance. It, it's a picture like Mephibosheth. We are broken and hurting and battling shame and nothing that we have. We have nothing to offer the king. And, and, and like Mephibosheth, we say, oh, I have nothing to offer. Here I am exposed. I'm before you. I'm afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. God says, don't be afraid. Jesus invites us to come and belong because of his kindness and love. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside uh, in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles here. Thus making peace and in one body, again, body language here, in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Jesus doesn't offer enmity, but he offers us peace and reconciliation with the Father that we can come and be a part of a body of believers that has peace with God and peace with each other. That's powerful. The second of the king's blessings of belonging is the king's gift of provision. Notice that when, when Saul had died and Jonathan had died and Mephibosheth was carried away, he had lost everything. He lost everything. In 2 Samuel 9, we learn that he was living in a place called Lodabar. And it gives us a context, not only geographically, but also spiritually. The, the word low here it, it is a word that's a prefix that's a negator term. It kind of means no, where the word debo or debar here means word or thing. And so you put them together and you have no word or no thing. 
And if you look in the book of Joshua, the word Debar also is a, a land of pasture. So if you put low in front of it, it means a place of no pasture, a barren land, a barren place, no pasture, no word, no thing. You might, you might say that that is a nothing town or a place that's out in the middle of nowhere. Anybody live in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> He, he went from a place in the middle of nowhere. That's where he was. It wasn't just where he was geographically, but it's where he was spiritually and emotionally and alone. A nothingness, no place in Lodabar, insignificant, insignificant, unimportant, barrenness. And yet an invitation from the king also brings a blessing uh, of this belonging, but a blessing of provision that comes with the belonging. He goes from no pasture and nothingness to great provision. Verse 7 says, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. In other words, the king had a lot of land. That was the king. And he says, I'm restoring it all of you to you. You're going from no place to the place. That's the provision. That's where God takes us from a place of nothingness, and by an act of God, He moves us from a place of being poverty spiritually, from being a place of aloneness and a place of nothingness, and brings us into a body, and brings us into a place with Him where there is great provision. Provision not only of His grace and His mercy, but how many know that Scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. And I do that not because you deserve it, but out of my kindness, out of a covenant promise and commitment, my love for you. What an amazing gift. And that's what God does through Jesus Christ. In fact, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, I'm kind of paralleling a little bit, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope, without God in the world, but now in Christ. Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a mouthful there, but let me just highlight a couple of things. Uh, you, you, you were separate from Christ. So we have separate from Christ, excluded. So you were separate. You were excluded. Foreigners without hope, without God, and far away. But now, through the blood of Jesus, You've been brought near. There is great provision that comes through Jesus Christ. There is power in belonging. Belonging to Jesus Christ and belonging to his body. Friends, we belong to the king. Finally, number three, the king's gift of position. David says, 2 Samuel 9, 7, you will eat here with me at the king's table. That's really the, the capstone Later on in verse 11, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. You see, that's the, in other words, what David is saying is you, you lost your father and you lost your grandfather, but come and eat at my table and be a child of the king. 
Come and eat at my table and be my son. Come eat like one of my sons. I'm going to adopt you in as one of my sons. And I'm going to restore your position. You were once alone, living in Nowhereville, living all alone, isolated in your pain and in your hurting. But guess what? I'm bringing you near. And I'm giving you not only just a restoration of all things, but something more important than that. And that is the power of belonging back to a family once again. I'm restoring your position as a king's son. Oh, come on now. That's what God does for us, right? He doesn't just provide for us. He doesn't just protect us, but he makes us, includes us as sons and daughters of God. We heard it earlier, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We belong to the, to the body of Christ. And the best part about it, if you think about the idea of a table, you think about the idea of a table, Mephibosheth's greatest shame was the reminder that, that the, uh, the, the dynasty that fell of his grandfather Saul and his father Jonathan and the shame that came with that was the reminder that as he was being carried away, he was dropped. And every time he woke up and tried to stand, he couldn't because his own feet were crippled. But at the table, at the table, he was like everybody else. Because at the table, his feet were covered. His shame was covered. And there he was at the table with everyone else. Friends, that's what God does for you and I. He brings us to the table where our shame and our pain have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Who brings us near, restoring to us a position and a place of worthiness. We are unworthy, and now we have been made worthy. And because the shame has gone, now we have this connectedness and this belonging with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Where two or three are gathered, there I am. There I am. We have been brought together, restored in a position of the family, but brought together because there is power in belonging. There is power in community. And Christ Jesus gives us protection, provision, and a new position as a child of the king to take a seat at his table to have a place in his body to have a place as a as being fitted together in his temple it is community language that's the truth that we find is that we are better together worship team will you come as i close see friends because in jesus christ we have a place to belong he knows where we are, he knows the shame, and he knows the fear, and he knows the guilt, and, and, and he knows those things that break fellowship, that break connection, and that keep us wanting to stay isolated and in hiding. But Jesus Christ died to restore us. He died so that you might find in him a place of refuge. He died so that in him you might find a place where you have made peace with God, no longer enmity, but provision has been made on your behalf, and he has brought you to a 
place where, where you can be a part of not only this restored relationship with him, but also a restored position, sons and daughters of God, and a part of his family. Friends, we're better together. We're better together. We're better together. And God wants to bring you from a place of no place to his place. From no place to his place. And so today, I want to pray for you. And so if we can, can we just bow our heads this morning? And if you're watching online, will you just pray with us as well? And I just want to ask you, have, have you been brought into the family? Have you, again, this is not by your works. It's not by being a good person. It's not by being religious. It's simply by receiving the invitation from the king to come and to be a part of his family. And to do that, you acknowledge my, my, my fear. Acknowledge, come vulnerable and say, God, here I am. I stand before you. And, 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 and he's calling you like he was calling to Adam and Eve. He's calling to you. Where are you? Where are you? Because he wants to bring you near today. And by his blood that we, we celebrated last weekend with the, the Good Friday and the cross and the resurrection, by his blood, he has made a way for you to be brought near. And today, if there is sin in your life, today, if there is connectivity that has been broken between you and God because of sin, and today you want that sin forgiven, that shame gone and restored into the, to being a part of and belonging to the family of God. I just want to invite you to pray with me. Will you slip up your hand if that's you and just just, just in a moment of vulnerability to say, Pastor, that's me. I need, I need Jesus as my Savior. I need, I need Him to forgive me of my sin and my shame. If you're online, will you just let us know in the comments so that we can be praying for you? I'm just going to pray. And if that's you, will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you today that you love me. Thank you today that you have come to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me. I ask you today to forgive me. I come humbly before you. And, and I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin. I want to be, I want to receive, Lord, your invitation to be part of your family. Come into my life and make me new. You're my place of refuge. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. One last thing, and I just want to pray for you. You say, you know, I've just been battling with some things. I've been battling. Maybe you're battling with loneliness. Maybe just personally, there's just some things that you're battling, and you just feel like connection and fellowship has just been interrupted. You've, you've asked Jesus into your life, but you've just been struggling with connection and fellowship. Maybe you've been hurting in some way, and, and today you just want prayer today. Will you just slip up your hand? I just could use some prayer. I just feel some brokenness. Yeah. Jesus, thank you for those that raised their hand that were brave. Thank you for those online, Lord, that, that are also maybe struggling today with being hurt and brokenness. We just pray your touch upon them. We pray, Lord, that you will heal the brokenness and that, Father, we will just experience that power of, of restored connection with you, belonging with you. We're, we're your sons, your daughters. We're king's kids. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.